Hello, I'm Maurice Powell and on a very overcast and breezy morning I'm uh, standing outside the uh, Villa Marina, in the Villa Marina grounds with my colleague uh, Howard Kane and we're here to uh, look at one particular year in the vibrant story of the uh, Isle of Man's entertainment industry, that's 1955, with particular reference to uh, a favourite uh, um, band leader of ours, uh, Howard, which would be Ivy Benson. Um, Ivy Benson and the All Girls Band, whose first season here was 1955. Now we need a bit of uh, a bit of imagination here because uh, standing roughly in this spot on a warm uh, July or August afternoon in 1955, if we'd have looked out across uh, across the grounds, Howard, what do you imagine we would have seen? Well, I'm assuming it would have been a lot busier because we're standing here down by what is the little bandstand. It was different back in the 1950s, though, wasn't it? Because there was a bandstand just over, I think, more sort of in, in the central area of the grass. And yes. one assumes there'll be good crowds. Yes, I mean, there are plenty of photographs in the, uh, in the Manx Museum that, that show Ivy Benson here. And, of course, she used to play on, on the outside the what is now the front of the Villa Marina and they had steps there then it looked a little bit different and also the forecourt of the present day villa has, has taken over some of the uh, uh, some of the grounds but basically if we'd have looked out we'd have seen a sea of deck chairs hundreds hundreds of them um, and, and not a not a square inch between them and uh, people there of all ages would have been listening to the afternoon concerts which usually started around three o'clock and which Ivy Benson was specifically brought over to the Isle of Man to present. It wasn't just concerts of course, eventually they had beauty contests and a, and a real favourite was the uh, talent competitions in which uh, people of all ages would come and uh, strut their stuff, whatever, and, uh, and, and she was very, very good with them, particularly with the small children. But basically they came to listen to the band and uh, listen to her all-girl band. And um, I sometimes think, well, it must have, must have been a fabulous way to spend a warm afternoon. Presumably there was ice cream and drinks available. Um, it would have been absolutely marvellous. It would have been terrific. And I'm guessing you also said that all-girl band. Now, obviously, you know, in today's climate, all-girl bands, hey, ten a penny. But frankly, they're not that unusual. Back in the day then, coming off the back of the, the big band era and the swing era, an all-girl band was pretty unusual. Yes, it was. I mean, Ivy Benson's wasn't the first all-girl band, and she had played in the 1930s with a number of uh, of um, sort of all-lady ensembles. But hers is the best known, certainly in the UK, and the longest-lasting. Um, she kept on going long after um, more famous, more prestigious bands had stopped. I suppose, really, um, the great impetus was the war, the Second World War, when so many male musicians were on active service. And uh, there was just a, a shortage. You couldn't get a you couldn't get a trombone or a saxophonist for love nor money. So she started her all girl band, and um, my goodness me, they were they were good. Um, and uh, although she did have some opposition um, from some uh, male band leaders, they were a bit unkind about her, a bit dismissive. Some of them, particularly Joe Loss, who we'll talk about a bit later on in the program, particularly Joe Loss was very very supportive. And uh, it was because Joe Loss was here in 1955, although nobody knew then it would be his last season. They were actually here for one season together. And that must have been very nice for Ivy Benson as well. When they begin the begin, 
the sound of music so tender It brings back a night It brings back a memory evergreen. I'm with you once more under the stars. And down by it just predates me, it has to be said, 1955, so I wasn't around. You'd be, what, in your 40s, I suppose, so... Well, <laughs> actually, I want this on record. Um, I was actually eight years old. Um, in 1955, but your family, of course, have been involved in music here, particularly your, your dad. Yeah, uh, he must have known Ivy Benson. He he did, and um, he did. Sadly, he's, he's no longer with me and, and uh, with us. And I wish now I had asked him a bit more, and that he did talk about it. And we did the Sweet and Swing program sometimes, and he'd mentioned some of these band leaders. So Joe Loss, I know he he sort of knew Joe Loss because, as the bands were playing here, as you say, they'd have the big name bands. So Joe Loss, obviously. Ivy Benson, big bands, and then just as now, you'd have a bit of local support. And so my dad, Jim, came with uh, with his bands or various iterations of his bands. Would quite often play the sort of the off-peak period, as it were, warm the audience up. Mm. Then the star acts would come on, and uh, and then you know they'd swap over again. So he would he would often be playing support. And I'm fairly certain he did tell me of times of uh, I think he knew Ivy relatively well because I'm certain he said. He would occasionally give her lifts back to uh, wherever she was staying, where she was going out. I'm sure he said he, he gave her lifts back in the day. Yeah, oh, I'm sure I'm sure he did. Yeah, and you're absolutely right about the the local support bands at the Villa Marina. It was uh, quite often Harold um, Morehouse and his Havana Havana band. Yeah, you knew um, Jim knew Harold well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've, I've spoken to a lot of people that remember him very fondly, and um, and then he would come back at the end of the season, sometimes in September. But increasingly, Ivy Benson, who was one of the most hard-working of, of, of all the band leaders, w- would be asked to stay on and on into the into September. So it was always very difficult to extend the season here. Um, but because it wasn't just the Villa Marina where we are today. I mean, the Derby Castle um, had, of course, a, a ballroom and an opera house. And I think in, in that year, I think it was Phil Moss at the Derby Castle. At the Palace Ballroom, it was uh, Phil Moss and then he transferred to the Derby Castle and Ronnie Aldrich came. These are all big names and, uh, and uh, they, they all put on dancing every night and, and of course the famous Sunday concerts which uh, Ivy Benson became involved in here at the Villa Marina. Marvellous. Right, now the, it's starting to spit rain I think so what we'll do is we will go and take a look, paddle over towards the villa itself, uh, much revamped of course since Ivy's day and maybe get in, see if we can get into the uh, Royal Hall into the environs there and uh, carry on chatting there. Good idea. It's a bit like being on the foredeck of a windjammer at the moment, isn't it? We're in through the foyer into the surrounding area of the uh, 
Royal Hall and uh, Morris just uh, does the necessary. Thank you very much. We can swish in through the door and sashay into the actual Royal Hall itself, set out at the moment for a function that's coming weekend. Always super busy here at the uh, Villa Gaiety, of course, so it's all set out with tables and chairs on the dance floor in the middle. But uh, now the, the actual Royal Hall itself hasn't changed. I mean, it's been sort of redone and redecorated or whatever, but I think essentially it's much the same as it was in the 50s, was it? I think so, yes. Um, I can, you can certainly imagine, instead of all these uh, tables and chairs set out, this would be a completely blank space filled with dancers. And um, and uh, when the variety stars came on, of course, they would people would surge to the front. On the stage, which is quite a wide stage, would be Joe Loss and his band, or Ivy Benson and uh, her all-girl band. Yeah, this will be very crowded, very lively. <laughs> there are some quite famous pictures from here. The you know the, the the night the Rolling Stones came. There are some pictures here of all the girls right up the front, fainting and screaming. And it was quite a riotous night from all accounts. Well, I mean, I, there's one picture I always look at to do with that. Were you um, there? That's what we all want to know, of course. <laughs> I was not there, um, but uh, a very vicious um, police dog was. A f- photographed at the side of the stage and I always thought he looked a bit bored and was probably wondering you know can, can I just be let off my leash and bite somebody please just you know to make it worthwhile but that was that was I mean that was uh, the halls here were, were absolutely crowded with dancers um, and uh, I don't know I would love to have been here for a summer season you know in the mid 50s when the summer seasons were almost as good as they'd been before the war. You know, there were, there were over 400,000 people here in the summer. I'd love to have been here to experience two or three weeks of a summer season here, and I would definitely have come to the Villa Marina. Marvellous. Let's paddle down a bit then. Take. Let's just go a little bit down towards the stage. So we go down the, the stairs, come into the area where the, the dancers would have been. So again, you get that sound as you go across the floor. And you'd imagine this in the 1950s again. Certainly wouldn't have been able to hear our footsteps as we could now. No, because I mean, When you actually get down here, you realise how big the dance floor actually is. But I'm used to being here really with the symphony orchestra. And uh, we, we do take up part of the stage and, and the front. And, uh, and of course it's all set out then with, with seating. And, um, but when it's completely empty, you know, as it more or less is now, I mean, it is a, a huge dance floor. I don't know how many hundreds, thousands of people, they could have, I mean, they crammed a lot of people in, yeah. more than they'll be allowed to do today. Oh, I'm sure, it, I mean, I mean, certainly I've seen pictures, not of the villa, I've seen pictures of uh, Roy Fox and his band over at the Palace Lido, and there were thousands of people there, Thou- yes. they were absolutely rammed on like sardines on the dance floor, I don't know about dancing, it just would have been a, a little shuffle from side to side, well, I think, holding on to your Well, they used to have a kind of a, I don't know about after the war, for a little while after the war, they used to have a kind of a major domo here, whose job it was to control the flow of dancers around the hall. Um, I don't think it worked once the rock and roll era kicked in.
he was always dressed in a penguin suit and you know and his job really was to was to make sure that dancers didn't keep bashing into each other and that people went round in some sort of sensible order but um apart i mean apart from the dance bands i mean obviously joe lost Harvey benson would play here most evenings and of course the Sunday concerts we've mentioned. The Sunday concerts are a long tradition that go back to the 1880s, 1890s um, and they were often called the sacred concerts because a lot of people were of course against entertainment of any sort on a Sunday but you could put on a concert if you had some sacred music in. Anyway they dropped the sacred pretty much after the uh, Second World War but nevertheless, if they had a comedian on, and occasionally did, who was a bit blue, he, he would be taken off and he would not be invited back to Douglas again. Um, but um, there was no danger of that. I mean, obviously, bands like Ronnie, uh, Ronnie Aldrich and Joe Loss and certainly Ivy Benson, they were capable of putting on a, a show. They were show band shows, really. They could put on a show within a show. And Ivy Benson not only had superb instrumentalists and, of course, was a very fine clarinet and saxophone player herself, but she had Roby Buckley, um, an Australian uh, trumpet player, who was extremely popular here. She had a classical violinist and a classical cellist in with the band for a bit of variety, and uh, and various other, or Paula Pike, of course, the famous drummer, always had a drum solo at some stage. And of course, most of the bands had their star musicians. Ronnie Aldrich, a rather shy and retiring character, he had a guy called Andrew Reevely, who was a singer and instrumentalist, and a real showman and a comedian. And Andrew Reevely used to more or less run the show within a show. And Ronnie Aldrich would come on and play more sophisticated piano solos and things like that. So they were capable of putting on shows. Great variety artists come here. I've just made a list of some of them. Do you remember Arthur Worsley? The Ventriloquist. Yes, I do remember the name rather than the act. The name rings a bell. I can't can't picture the act. I remember him. And it, he was unique in that he never spoke. He was simply harangued for ten minutes by his dummy, but he never spoke himself. Very unusual for for look for a vent. Stuck with, eh? Just look at this face, eh? A mean, miserable, <laughs> moody, melancholic, notionless misfit. <laughs> Jimmy Logan, of course, a great Scottish entertainer. Al McCogan, David Hughes, a very fine singer. Came and did a few classical operatic numbers. Arthur Askey, you know, what, what was his catchphrase? Oh, hello, playmates. Hello, playmates. Oh, I thank you. Yeah. Things like that. Playmates. And I know. You know who I am, don't you? Well, you've all seen me before. I thought him an irritating little chap, really, but there you go. Ken Platt, Northern comedian, 
I won't take my coat off, I'm not stopping. It was very lugubrious. That is very northern, isn't it? Very. Um, they had vocal groups like the Deep River Boys, or Frankie Vaughan, when he came, he was mobbed here outside the door. The girls love Frankie Vaughan. And he was, he, was, he was just immensely famous and started making films as well. Shelton, great singer, and Shelton. Vic Oliver, I never thought he was particularly funny, but a very sophisticated, dry, Austrian comedian. A lot, a lot of people absolutely hated him. I, I do remember Vic Oliver a little bit, but I, I quite liked him, wasn't it? That sort of dry, that sort of laconic style. How do you do, ladies and gentlemen? May I come in? Uh, you see, once again, I return to the old England with a batch of new jokes and funny happenings. I really don't have to introduce myself. Surely you must have heard me many times on the gramophone and on the radio. Of course, I never use my right name. I usually go under the name of Henry Hall. I only arrived from America last week, and you'd be surprised how many thousands of people were down in Southampton to greet me when I arrived. Thousands, I'm telling you. What? You don't believe me? Ask Clark Gable. He was on the boat, too. And um, they had a, a firm favourite here, a comedian who I've never seen a picture of and never heard a, a, a single word from, was a Yorkshire comedian called Walter Niblo. Now, he was here for decades. You know, um, he, he, I mean, I can't... When he first came here, sometime in the... Could have been the late 20s or 30s, he came every summer season. A bit of Yorkshire humour. Um, so that gives you an idea of the breadth of some of, some of the stars they had here. Um, and as I say, the, the, the Sunday concerts were a huge feature, and every venue did them. You know, there were Sunday concerts at the castle and at the palace, and the palace or uh, Coliseum as well. So, lots to go to. Marvellous. And it's difficult, like I said, of where just Morris and I are just standing here. You can, I suppose, if you, know, you close your eyes and use your imagination, think back to those uh, heydays of the 1950s when the season, as you we were saying, would be in full throttle. This place would be absolutely bustling with uh, people and the bands, like I said, there on the stage, giving it full chat, any of those great bands. Um, also, of course, we, we were saying before, the bands all had their own theme tunes, so J Joe would have uh, In The Mood, of course. Of course, and, um, and uh, Ivy Benson's was Lady Be Good. Uh, both great numbers. Um, I can't remember what Ronnie Aldrich no, well, I, uh, well, I should have known, I've forgotten. Was. No, so I should have done more homework, I think, there, Howard, but uh, no, I will look that up. And I think Ronnie, I think he went on to, to live on the Isle of Man, I, th I think um, I might say Ronnie. Yeah, he did, he retired here uh, um, to Port Erin, um, a house, I think, which is still there, but which is unoccupied, I believe. It is, is yes. I would, I would like to have had access to that uh, property when uh, Ronnie Aldrich was alive, because I, just to have a look at his music library. Um, because it must have been fabulous, all, the, all, those, all those band parts and scores and things. Um, and of course they, they did play for all the big stars. You know, so, sometimes the stars brought their own accompanist, but off, quite often the bands would accompany them. So the Monday morning rehearsals here at the villa would have been interesting. The stars had just arrived, the first performance was going to be that evening, and it would be a big band practice, run through all the numbers with someone like Anne Shelton, for example, or Jimmy Logan, run through their songs with them. Um, great days, I should think. Um, but we, we were talking just at the beginning of this, uh, saying that 1955 was a pivotal 
year, Ivy Benson's first year, Joe Lossie's last year here. And it did make a difference. People used to book their holidays depending on when a certain band was going to be here. And when they knew that Joe Loss wasn't coming in 1956, and in fact he never came again, it did make a lot of difference to, to, to people. Some people didn't come. They went where he was going. And it took a while. It was all to do with money, of course. No. Um, then as now. Yeah. <laughs> then as now. And, the, uh, and Douglas uh, Town Council, of course, owned the Villa Marina, w w w had to watch the purse strings and there's no doubt Joe Loss was very expensive. Um, and in 1956, they decided to uh, employ three bands instead of his one band. They had John Dankworth, Chap Parnell, and Ken McIntosh. Um, Dankworth and Parnell simply dived because they were jazzy and you couldn't dance to them. And that's what people wanted to come here for, was dancing, basically. Um, Ken McIntosh was very popular. was only here for a couple of seasons, I think. Now, the villa did save money in, uh, when, when I had a quick look at the books <laughs> for 1955, as you do, and absolutely. And they actually saved 2000 by. Um, a lot of money uh, in 1956. Not, a lot of money by not having uh, Joe Loss. But then overall, the receipts were down. Mm. And it did take a while. Um, and uh, I mean, the, definitely, I mean, the 10 years, 1946 to 55, were quite definitely the Joe Loss years. He was the dominant band leader here. But it would then, the next 10 years, would be Ivy Benson's and Ronnie Aldrich. And I, I have a great admiration for Ivy Benson. She was a sort of a pocket-sized dynamo, a fine musician. Um, she rallied those girls. She taught them. Some of them could hardly play when they started. She looked after them. She was like a mother hen. I believe, yeah, she was an excellent band leader. And, and I've read that as well, saying she was a hard taskmaster. Didn't stand any nonsense, but really looked after all the girls in the band. No, she did. And, uh, and, and they would have uh, taken some looking after because they were always running off and getting married. Um, <laughs> during the war and just afterwards to American servicemen. Um, you know, and, and also... Uh, Two or three of her girls married um, players from other bands that were here at the same season. Um, so they must have had a you know, gay old time. I mean, she was so hard-working. I mean, she, it was the afternoon concerts, the Sunday concerts. She played for some dancing. There's all sorts of things that she was expected to do. And her schedule got busier and busier as, the, as, the, as her sort of 10-year stint here went on. It must have been quite lonely, I think. Mm. You know, a lot of responsibility... And, uh, you know, when you're, when you're at the top like that, who, who do you talk to? Yep. You know, if, if, if you're feeling a bit down that day or whatever. But um, I, I have great admiration for her. She was, a, she was just full of energy and uh, people always spoke very highly of her. A tune to finish off? Have you got one perhaps we could play of uh, maybe of Ivy's to finish off? Well, it should be Lady Be Good, shouldn't it?
music to me is happiness to me. And I think without it, I would be a very unhappy woman. And I hope I, I can keep it till the day I die. <laughs> <laughs>